Well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. This is the first Sunday of 2024, and so usually a pastor tries to bring a message that's, you know, let's kick it in gear, and we're excited, and rah, 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 and man, I really wanted to do that. Strangely enough, my first two messages of 2024, this morning, well, you'll see what that's about. There's storm clouds, if that gives you any idea. Tonight, I'm preaching on pain. Rah, rah, rah. But we'll trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And uh, my biggest concern is not that the Lord doesn't know what he's doing, it's that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not effectively discerning what God would, would have us to hear. I hope that I have, I pray that I have, I think that I have. We'll see. But we're going to start off in Proverbs 17, verse number 1. Uh, we are going to stay in the book of Proverbs this morning. Everything, with the exception of one little side note, everything comes from the book of Proverbs this morning. I love the book of Proverbs. I've told you before that in addition to whatever other Bible reading I'm doing, every day I read the proverb that corresponds with the day. There's 31 Proverbs. Most months have 31 days. And so today, uh, what's today? The 8th? 7th. I read Proverbs 7 this morning. Okay, It's just a, a good little thing to do. Um, doesn't make me any more spiritual than anybody else, but you you can't get too much of God's wisdom, can you? And so uh, every day, the, the proverb of the day, and, uh, and so we're going to be in Proverbs today. The world, full of discord, contention, debate, controversy. In a single word, the world is replete, just busting over with strife. In fact, those words, discord, contention, debate, controversy, and many others, are words that the Bible uses interchangeably for the word strife. Now, we want to define our terms. So how would we define strife from a biblical perspective? It's to chide or to plead in an argumentative, even adversarial way. This is reflected a lot of ways in, in our society, isn't it? How about the litigious nature of people? People will sue for nothing now. Right now, there's, there's, it seems, I don't know that it is any more than it ever has been, but there seems to be a growing homelessness problem in, in our area. And, of course, everybody on with word of mouth knows how to fix it. And it never involves them. It involves somebody else, always. And I, I'll tell you, I believe it's a problem, too. But there's no small amount of arguing as to what the best way to handle it is. And that's at every level. That's at the, you know, the, the everyday man level. Board of Supervisors argues about it, probably. State House, they argue about it. They argue about it in Congress. They argue about everything in Congress. But, you know, you can't really help people right now. It's difficult. You know why? You got to be super careful. There was a time where if somebody came and said, man, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll do some work if you'll, you'll take care of me for an evening or whatever. Sure. Got plenty for you to do. Now, the second they grab a broom, if they fall and hurt themselves, they got us. That's how our society works right now. And it's a shame. It's a shame. People will sue you for anything. Did you know that I probably shouldn't say this publicly. I have to carry as part of our insurance, 
malpractice insurance for my counseling? And all of you are thinking, hmm. (laughs) Well, shows what you know. I never advertise myself to be a good counselor anyway, so, you know. (laughs) Let the buyer beware. (laughs) That's because that's the society we live in. I'm in the middle of dealing with an insurance company right now. (sighs) I had to prove that I wasn't at fault, sitting at a gas station pump, minding my own business. Well, were you, did you have the key in? Yeah, the key in, what's that got to do with anything? No. Was everybody buckled up? We're sitting at a gas station. How do I stay buckled up, gassing up? What in the world was I buckled up? Yeah, just it stretches a long way and... Strife. Court dockets are bloated with lawsuits, most of them frivolous. Strife is prominently displayed in the tone and content of social media. You want to find out what kind of people are out there, make any kind of assertion at all on social media and see what happens. The sky is blue. Look out. The flat earthers have made a reemergence here lately. Can, can I just I'll go on record? I think the earth is a sphere. I just want you to know that, okay? It's a sphere, and anyway, do with that what you want. So help me if one of you pull me aside after church and tell me it's flat. <laughs> we see its effects in political discourse. But saddest of all, we see it in the interaction of families, be they families of blood, or families of the church. It seems like it's all around us and it's unavoidable. But is it? Now, we got to expect some measure of living in strife because we live in a fallen world. And we're fallen creatures. But that doesn't mean that we accept it as a part and parcel of human experience, standing idly by and standing. I just made up a word. Standing idly by and allowing it to run roughshod in our lives. We cannot eliminate strife, but I do believe biblically we can minimize it. We can minimize it in our world. We can minimize it in our homes. And we can minimize it in our church. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Now, let's look at it broadly and then get a little more specific. What is the writer of this proverb saying? I'd rather, if I could use some up-to-date analogies, I'd rather have a McDonald's hamburger in a peaceful environment than filet mignon in a striving one. But notice he uses the word sacrifices, which adds a religious context. Where do we get our religious meals? In this house. Now, I'd like to think they're not dry morsels. Hope not. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been like, look, I don't care where we are. I just want to go somewhere quiet. I just want to go somewhere where there's peace. 
Brother Davies, I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. We love his family to death, but he has, he has all of his children are completely normal, and that's the problem. And I sat down with him one day. It is a rare thing for me to assert any kind of authority over Brother Davies. He knows what he's doing. He's better at it than I am. I'm best just to stay out of his way. But in this particular case, what do you have to do, six children now, right? Six, yeah. And uh, I sat him down. I said, Brother Davies, I'm concerned. You need to take more time off. You have got to rest. You have got to come apart. And yet, every time I look, you're in your office. And his response was this. I have six children. I am resting in my office. (laughs) He is running from the strife. There's enough strife in my home with two children. I can't imagine what you're going through. Better is a dry morsel in quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. A great resource for this pursuit of getting away from strife is the book of Proverbs. It is chocked full of practical help for minimizing the effects of strife. So the message this morning is this. Hard questions about hard feelings. A study on strife. Father, would you help us now as we take on a difficult subject, but it's needed. Would you help us to hear what you need us to hear today? Would you get me out of the way? Would you speak to hearts? Would you make much of the Lord Jesus? Would you, uh, would you uh, elevate your word and put it first and foremost in front of us? And may the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts. Well, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask some hard questions. When we're dealing with hard feelings, causing hard feelings, feeling hard feelings, it's time to ask some hard questions. So let's begin with the first one. Do I invite strife? Do I invite strife? Would you go to Proverbs 26? I'll meet you there in a minute. There are some folks whose lives are filled with strife because whether they know it or not, they open themselves up to it. Now, this is usually accomplished in one of two ways. How do I invite strife into my life? It could be that it's a matter of attraction. You would never admit this, but the reality of it is you derive a certain satisfaction from being involved in the strife of others. Perhaps you feel this strong urge to know what's going on. And if I have to, if I have to bring on a certain amount of strife so that I can be in the know, so be it. But I'm attracted to it. I've got to know what's going on. And then what ends up happening almost invariably, we end up taking a side, don't we? Sometimes the attraction, we we, we mask it as being more noble because we believe that we can broker peace. I am learning about that. Years ago, remember, I've pastored two churches. 
Years ago, I was called in to a meeting of the family. It was almost like the mafia. The families are meeting. We'd like you to be there. Okay. And I sat and I listened to the strife of the family. And I pointed out some things I saw here. And I pointed out some things I saw here. And for my trouble, they both left. Now, that wasn't the only reason, I'm sure. But they both left. If only I'd have read Proverbs 26, 17. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Strife belonging not to him. What does that mean? Some things are none of our beeswax. Now, we see it as, well, I'm earnestly contending for the faith. No, sometimes we inject ourselves in a situation we would do better just to stay out of it. We men are especially bad about this because we always feel like we need to do things and fix things. And sometimes you just can't. Take the dog by the ears. What do we see in that analogy? Well, imagine you've got a dog and you grip it, dog by the ears. I got news for you. You dare not let go. Because when you let go, what's that dog going to do? So you're in it. You're stuck there for a while. And when you get into strife that doesn't belong to you, guess what? You're in it. And you're stuck there until... The dog isn't going to bite anymore, which could be a while. Sometimes it's a matter of attraction. Do I invite strife? Sometimes it's a matter of associates. Flip over to Proverbs 29 for me, would you? Perhaps you don't really have a quarrelsome attitude. You don't really harbor an attraction for strife. But you still find it to be a constant cloud around you. What could be going on? Could it be that strife comes from those with whom you associate? We've got to take an honest look at those around us and see what kind of strife they are dragging into our lives. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked secular jobs. And whenever I meet somebody and they say, no, I'm not one to cause problems, I immediately know they're the ones that cause problems. And there are just some people that if you hang around them, they're going to get you caught up in so much mess. You don't want it, you don't ask for it, and yet you invite it by just being around them. We need to take an honest look at those around us and see what kind of strife they're dragging into our lives. What kind of associates should we watch out for? Watch out for the angry person. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth, aboundeth in transgression. If you know somebody that's just always ticked off about something, guess what? Strife's on the way. Go back a couple pages to Proverbs 26. What about the argumentative person? You ever known anybody that just, they live for the argument. 
no matter what you put out there, no matter how patently true it is, they are going to have another perspective. I had a friend of mine in college. Would you forgive me if I sit down while I tell this little, spin this little yarn? <clears throat> we got along great. He was a roommate for a while. And uh, we, just, we just got to be really good friends. A lot of times your roommate in college, you, you don't find yourself being friendly with them because y'all do things so differently and you just can't wait for the semester to break so you can get away from them. Me and this guy got along great. And I think one of the reasons we got along great is we kind of ganged up on the other roommate and made fun of him and, uh, in a loving way, but we did. And uh, anyhow, um, and sometime after we graduated, he, he took on a different perspective. And I lost contact with him. And then, you know, with Facebook coming on the scene, we, we reconnected. And for a while, it was great, man. We went down memory lane and all of that. But before long, you know, once I was back pastoring again, everything I put up that had any spiritual bent to it at all, he wanted to argue with me about it. He had walked away from his moorings and, and, uh, and, and was now seeing things differently. And he wanted to argue. And I finally had to just cut it off with him because I just got to where... I just got tired of everything being an argument, you know? Well, the Bible has something to say about the argumentative person. It's fine to stand up for what's true and to be effective in arguing for that which pleases God, but, but the argument for its own sake, we shouldn't seek that. It says in Proverbs 26, 21, As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man contentious to kindle strife. Proverbs 30, if you want to flip there, verse 32. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself. What's the argumentative person? They always want to be right. They want to win. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath, what's that forcing of wrath? That is keeping on and keeping on and keeping on until they finally they can't have it, handle it anymore. What does it do? It brings forth strife. He's talking about argumentative people. Watch out for the angry person. Watch out for the argumentative person. Then thirdly, watch out for the arrogant person. Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride. It is so important, as we've looked at, you know, we want to be careful. Watch out for the angry person, the argumentative person, the arrogant person. But we also have to go to the mirror of God's word and make sure that person isn't us. And that brings us to the next question. Number one, do I invite strife? But then number two, do I incite strife? Do I incite strife? Now, what do I mean by incite? Do you carry with you the materials needed to produce the fires of strife? If, if I show up hunting, 
I bring certain materials necessary to do the job. I have a gun. I have ammunition for said gun. I have my hunting license. And I have the knife that I just bought. It's got a nice gut hook on it. And I'm ready. But if I show up with none of those things, it's evident that I'm not interested in inciting anything, right? There are some people, whether they realize it or not, they show up to a situation and they're already loaded down with everything you need to start a fight. Do I incite strife? Maybe, maybe what incites strife in your life is your personality. Boy, it's so easy to dismiss things and just say, well, that's just the way I am. Can I remind you, our personalities, while God gave us the, the basics of our personality, anything that's sinful about our personality, God didn't give us. And it needs to change. You know? Well, you know, my husband hasn't, hasn't told me he loves me in 20 years. Well, I told her I loved her when we got married. I haven't changed my mind about it. I just don't say that very often. It's not my personality. Well, lovingly, men, change your personality. Tell your wife you love her. You know? Well, it's just my personality. I just can't help myself. I just fly off whenever somebody said, change it. Because that's not of God. But sometimes it's our personality. Proverbs 25, 24. Turn there because you've got to see that I'm not making this up. And listen, it just happens to be a lady. I'm not saying this is all women. I'm not saying this is only women. But this is an example of somebody whose personality is one that causes strife. It says it twice in Proverbs. It is better, Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. Now, it happens to be a woman, but the Bible in the New Testament talks about not being a brawler. There are just some people, they just got it in their personality. They can't help but fight. I'm sorry to say a lot of preachers are like that. Now, as a preacher, do I need to have something in me that there's enough, there's enough grit in my gut that I'm able to take on something if I have to? Sure. But if I'm out there looking for a fight, that is not scriptural. First Timothy 3 speaks against it. But there are just some people, they just, their personality lends itself to strife. Then ask God to help you and work on it. Proverbs 6.14, it talks about he who deviseth mischief continually. They're always thinking of ways to get stuff started. Maybe it's not your personality. Maybe it's your insecurity. Sometimes we argue and we find ourselves in the midst of strife because we feel like we have to defend ourselves. When nobody's asking that of us. Proverbs 28, 25. He that is of a proud heart, it's egocentric, stirreth up strife. 
but he that putteth his trust in the Lord. See, that's where we get the insecurity part here. If I'm insecure, it's because my trust isn't in the Lord. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. It's obvious I'm not very insecure. I actually am very insecure. It's something I've been actively working on. One of the, in my sabbatical, one of the things I, I just was so clear to me, I'm just so insecure. And I'm working on it. Maybe it's not your personality. Maybe it's not your insecurity. Maybe it's a matter of iniquity. Sin causes us to be striving. Proverbs 16, 28, a froward man. What's froward mean? Somebody who's perverse. A froward man soweth strife. They plant it and try to grow it. And a whisperer separateth chief friends. Proverbs 17, 19, he loveth transgression that loveth strife. And he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. He loveth transgression that loveth strife. So, do I invite strife? Do I incite strife? Here's the third one. Do I ignite strife? Because now we're moving, we're moving from just the materials being present to actually setting off the bomb. Perhaps you didn't bring the materials needed to produce the fires of strife. Maybe your personality, your insecurity, or your iniquity isn't the problem. But when the conditions are introduced by whoever introduces those conditions, you got one of two options. You're either going to endeavor to stop it, you're going to squelch it, or you're going to encourage the behavior by igniting it. Every one of us, when strife is present, we've got one of two choices. We are either going to try to stop it or we're going to try to ignite it. Go to Proverbs 15, 18. We see these two choices in this verse. Proverbs 15, verse 18. We're talking about either endeavoring to stop it or encouraging the behavior. Which are you? Which am I? Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife. What's the other side of it? But he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. So the next time somebody comes to you, did you hear about what Aaron Davies did? You got a choice. Either, ooh, tell me. Or, hold on, is this the right way to handle this? We all have that choice. But more often than not, what do we tend to do? Ignite it. Because everybody loves a good story. And before long, something that was nothing becomes something. Do I invite strife? Do I incite strife? Do I ignite strife? There's only one good answer here, and that's if we can answer this question. 
or do I indict strife? What do I mean by indict? Do I pronounce something as wrong and make every effort to deal with it? Do I call it what it is and deal with it? Would you find your way to Proverbs 6, please? Proverbs 6. Again, to indict is to pronounce something is wrong and make every effort to deal with it. What do we do if we want to deal with strife in a biblical way? Number one, we've got to see strife as God sees it. Now, here's what we tend to do. We treat it as though it's some kind of quirky trait that can just be laughed off. Oh, you know, brother such and such, he just likes to fight. You know, sister such and such, she just likes to get things stirred up, and we laugh it off. God doesn't laugh it off. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord what? Hate. I looked up the Hebrew word for hate. You know what it means? Hate. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. An abomination. That means as close as can be applied to the spiritual God, it makes him sick. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, which, by the way, all of these things can find their way into strife. But then notice the last one. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Discord. Strife. God hates unnecessary contention. And we are never going to be freed or at least minimize strife in our life if we don't come to see it like God sees it first. Number two, when at all possible, endeavor to avoid it. Now, this kind of goes against our good old-fashioned fundamentalist leanings. Let's take everything on. Not everything is meant to be taken on. Some things are meant to be avoided. Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. There's a very specific meaning here that I'm not going to get into. But I want you to imagine any situation in which water is held back and you open it just a little to let water out. What happens? It's coming. And once you open up that water, it is very, very difficult to close it back up again. And you say, well, I'm just going to kind of dance around the edges of this strife. No. Once you touch it, boom, the floodwaters come. So it's better just to avoid it, if at all possible. Well, you don't understand, preacher. These people have been fighting for 30 years. And sometimes the only ones going to do anything about it is God. Sure. My soul, the Hatfields and McCoys, finally gave it up, what, 20 years ago? Some of y'all know some of those people. 
Well, I can't avoid it. I'm in the middle of it. It's my family. It's my church. It's my situation. Okay. Then number three, refuse to fuel it. All right, it's here, but that doesn't mean I need to feed it. Proverbs 25, verse 8. Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another. What in the world are we saying here? You keep that strife with the people that are directly involved and no one else. Because as soon as you start involving other people and getting people to take your side and getting people to take your side, what ends up happening? You've fueled it. And I've learned this the hard way from personal experience. I get into it and I take a side and it's almost never actually the way it was presented to me. Preachers do it all the time. Did you hear what brother such and such did? You know what he said to me? You know what they did? Well, I can't believe he did that. And then I run into brother such and such, and it was nothing like that. So now I'm just like, well, I guess pray about it. You're not drawing me into this thing. You, 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 you heard what Jacob Vanover was doing up there at Rural Retreat, haven't you? No, I haven't. By the way, I'm not thinking of anything. He's my friend. I can use him and not be in too much trouble. Well, what do you think we ought to do? Nothing. Right. Why? Because we're independent Baptist. That's right. We don't have a bishop to go talk to about it. We don't need to go to the district office. They answer to God just like we answer to God. I've seen that family coming out of the movie theater. Well, that's unfortunate. Why? Because nobody should pay that much to see a movie. <laughs> Watch it on streaming. It's cheaper. Refuse to fuel it. I'll tell you one of the best ways, one of the best ways to, to uh, if you'll allow me to bring something from Brother Stewart from years ago, he used to say this all the time, just knock that thing in the head. I assume he meant animals and not people. <laughs> like snakes, you know. Best, thing, best way to knock it in the head? Did you hear what such and such? You know what? That's a big deal. Let's go talk to them about it. That's right. You know what they'll do? They may not quit acting like that, but they'll quit coming to you with it. That's right. Strife. Strife. I found the only person does any good to talk to about it is the Lord. That's right, preacher. That's true. Easy preaching, hard living, isn't it? Because we want to talk to people we can see. And we want to get that instant gratification and that validation of people saying, you know what, you're right. We want that. We don't like it when we pray to God and then God says, well, actually, you're not right. Here's what it says in my word. Yeah. Refuse to fuel it. Now, if all else fails... And this needs to be treated as a last resort. I, I, I see strife as God sees it. I endeavor to avoid it. I refuse to fuel it. But if I have to, I am prepared to separate from those who insist upon it. Every once in a blue moon, 
we'll have a situation, whether it's in a youth group or in the school or whatever, where we have done everything we know to do to mitigate an influence. And it doesn't work. And you understand that if you allow bad influence in a situation long enough, it will start corrupting those around it. It will. I don't mean to sound holier than thou. There's just certain people my kids don't get to hang around. There's certain situations they don't get to be a part of because I am concerned about the effect that it'll have on them. And every once in a blue moon, you have to remove an influence for the good of your, your group, whether it's the church or whether it's a youth group or a school or whatever. And it is painful, and you should never do it first thing. It should never be something you do flippantly. But sometimes it has to be done. And you know what I find? The Bible is true. Proverbs 22.10. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Remember, I've pastored two churches. But any preacher has stories like this. Every church I've ever known has had people that came to church and it seemed like their only purpose. I don't know if that, I don't have any feeling that that exists right now. Let me make that very clear. But every church that's ever stood has always had somebody that it seems like it was their God-given calling to cause strife. John talks about it. He talks about a guy named Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence. This joker, Diotrephes, thought so much of himself that he wouldn't give way to the apostle, John. What do you do with people like that? If all else fails, you take them out. Of, now I'm not saying you kill them. You take them out of the church. You take them out of the group. You get away from them because when you cast out the scorner, and you know as well as I do, in every church in America, there have been people that it, they felt like it was their calling to keep everybody else in line. But then when they're no longer in the picture, it's like a breath of fresh air. I doesn't say you don't love people, you don't try to reach them, but there comes a point that wouldn't be in the Bible if there wasn't a point at some point. Cast out the scorner. Well, I can't get rid of them. Then you go away. Get away from the influence. If you can't remove the influence, get away from the influence. You know? I can't decide who is and isn't in my family. But that doesn't mean I have to go over the house. Now, once again, I'm not saying to adopt this holier-than-thou attitude, and as soon as somebody ticks you off about something, well, I'm sorry, cast out the scorner. No, but you'll know when it's time, because the Holy Spirit will tell you. So what? Y'all, I know this isn't a cookie-cutter, first-of-the-year message. But all of us that are paying attention at all know that we live in a world that is absolutely covered up with strife. It's all around us. And listen, there's very little, outside of prayer, there is very little that I can do about the strife that exists in Washington. There's very little I can do about the strife that exists between nations. There's very little that I can do about the strife that's going on over here or over here. But when it starts touching my family, 
when it starts touching my church family, when it starts touching the school, when it starts touching my neighbors, then I've got to really start taking this thing seriously and taking a long look at it and saying, okay, I can't eliminate strife, but what can I do to minimize it? What can I do to mitigate it? But the problem is there's some Christians that are so used to it, they wouldn't know what to do without it. I'm sorry to tell you that there's a whole group of people that believe it is our calling to be the fighting fundamentalists. Earnestly contend for the faith, but that doesn't mean go out with a chip on your shoulder looking for a fight. That shouldn't be us. Paul said, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Oh, Andy, you're just a coward. No, I'm not. By God's grace, I have had to stand up against a few things and square my shoulders back and get chesty about some things. I've had to do that. I've never wanted to. I've never wanted to. Strife is all around us. And if we don't do something about it, if we don't have a plan, it will consume us. I, I, I wish I could tell you different, but beloved, as I read the Scriptures... It's not going to get easier. So what's the difference? We get better at dealing with it. And then when Jesus comes back, no more strife. No more heartache. No more pain. What a wonderful thing it'll be when I'm in heaven, never again will I have to worry about disappointing somebody or having a disagreement. That's all gone. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But until then, strife is all around us. So we've got to ask ourselves, do I invite it? Do I incite it? Do I ignite it? Or am I strong enough and courageous enough to indict it? Hard questions about hard feelings. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.